good to be together in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I'd like to personally thank you, church family, for your love gift that my wife and I and our family received last week. It was a blessing to us. Thank you for your kindness and your care for us as a family. If you have your scriptures, can I invite you to the songbook of the Bible? Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. Or if you will, the, the 90th song given to us in the songbook of the Bible, the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 90. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 and then move to the end, 12 to 17, which we'll be studying this morning. This is a prayer of Moses, a prayer that God gave to Moses, that Moses gave to Israel, that ultimately has been given to us here in Westerlo. Psalm chapter 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Father, we thank you for assembling us. We don't believe that it's an accident that we're in this place at this time on this day. Father, you have congregated us. You've called us, and we thank you, Lord. I pray that you would do a special and certain work in the hearts of your people that have assembled in this place. Father, we thank you for your kindnesses. We thank you, Lord, and we continue to celebrate that love has come down at Christmas. We commemorate this unsearchable gift. Father, we thank you for the work of Christ our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin, takes away our shame, takes away the, the record of evil, Lord, that was very much our own. Father, we thank you. You've blotted out our transgressions. You've remembered them no more. We praise you this morning, Lord. Father, we thank you that we've been able to come together as a church and sing and think and pray and reflect. And Father, we pray that you would cause our hearts to rejoice in recognition of your kindness. Father, we thank you that you are the God who gives. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who takes away. And that is difficult for some of us to say. But it's true. And we recognize that this day. Father, we lift before you our beloved sister Candy. We pray, Lord, as she's being 
treated, that, Lord God, you would touch and heal and help her. We remember Michelle Dean in prayer and her recent operation. We pray for her, for an abounding grace. Father, we, we think of uh, our brother George, and we pray for his healing and help. We remember Vern in prayer. Lord, our hearts reflect to other family situations, to other known situations, and we ask for your help. We pray for those laid aside who would like to be here and cannot. Father, we also thank you for the rich privilege that is ours to be here, to lift our voices together, to shake hands, to affirm one another, to encourage one another, to greet one another. We pray that you'd help us to love one another well as we've been loved. Father, I ask now for eyes to see and ears to hear what is before us in your word. We don't want to simply have some academic exercise and then go away. We want to hear from you, the living Lord. We want to read our name on the page. And so I pray that God the Spirit would help us to this holy end. Father, I pray that you continue changing us and transforming us for your glory's sake. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Well, if you walk through a store later this week, you, you may well have seen a, a salesman or a clerk or someone on the floor crumpling up a Christmas sale sign, which on a certain level is kind of an ouchie. It's almost like a metaphor that Christmas for this year is over again. December 29th, our culture is rapidly moving on. And those of us with sensitive feelings very, very easily can catch a sense of blahs. It's not difficult to feel let down after Christmas. We've just had two months of songs and media and advertisements and messaging, and for a while it was all that we heard and saw and tasted and touched. All of it was Christmas holiday-esque. But the train, or the holiday, or the Polar Express, has left the station. It's essential for a consumer culture to know what to consume. And after all this nudging, Madison Avenue, or the advertising world, has moved on. By now, Santa has left the mall. The boots don't fit that well. Some toys have already given up the ghost. The tree is losing its needles big time. All those decorations that you and I put up have to be taken down and boxed up. Or I should say that my wife put up. <laughs> Weeks of looking forward is now receding from view. To hear Elvis sing, I'll have a blue Christmas without you right now, is really kind of a ugh experience. Well, I'm belaboring this cultural observation not to bum you out, but to make a point for the people of God. Not one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ, not one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ, was fully satisfied by the recent Christmas season. And that's a mercy. That's because Nothing in this world can fully satisfy us. We still long, we still ache, 
we still feel as though there's something missing. We've missed out on something. We still have this sense of longing. That's because that is how God made us. And that's a mercy. To paraphrase Lewis when he says, if you realize that nothing on earth can satisfy you, it's because you've been made for another world. Brothers and sisters, maybe this morning you struggle with a sense of deflation. You sense a certain dullness or a darkness. The winter blues are just around the corner. You heard, of course, that there's ice coming tonight. I think that's interesting because in the hymn book of ancient Israel, in this book of songs, there is a song that God inspired Moses to write. And the overarching theme of the song is God's bigness and man's smallness. God's bigness and man's smallness. God is eternal and man, that's us, is so very frail. And then at the conclusion of the song in verses 13 and following, there is this prayer that is loaded with truth for those who travel on the way. Not just for those taking laps around Sinai, the Israelites, and so on, but for us. And so this morning, I'll lift up two markers, and we'll stake a claim to this melody of mercy. Just two markers as we stake a claim to this melody of mercy. My sermon is entitled, Mercy in the Christmas Blahs. The fact that you feel as though something is missing... The fact that you long for something is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Because it moves us in an understanding that only God can meet us in our need. First of all this, a plea for a godly perspective of time. A plea for a godly perspective of time. Notice with me again verse 12 as we read it a few moments ago. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Verse 12 is a request that God, God would instruct the worshiper in the value of his or her days. That we'd number our days, and in so doing, that we would gain wisdom and discretion, understanding. This is not, an, uh, this is not a passage that is not well known. It's well known to most of us. The struggle for us is to actually do what it tells us to do. To be able to calibrate, to be able to account for the days in which God is giving to us. It's really revolutionary. Get a grip on your finitude. Observe your limitations. Grapple with the very brevity of life. Now remember Psalm 90 comes after the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. And after the rebellion of Kadesh Barnea... The people of Israel are going to wander in the wilderness, dying day after day after day. The older generation will pass away. They're going to exit stage left. It will be the newer generation that will actually move into the promised land and inhabit the promises that God made for his people. But during those days, it was literally a trail of tears. There were funerals every day. Funerals every day, ache every day, longing every day. And every day the people would be reminded, wow, we're all terminal. We're all dying. 
that, that's, that's not something that for the Christian should frighten us, but it should inform us, it should teach us. We have this truth that goes on to say um, that, uh, I'll skip to verse 10, uh, it says the days of our lives are 70 years. That's sort of the normal at that point. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Th- there is that sense of the brevity of life, our, our tenuous hold on it. And so God requests of his people that they would understand that we're all terminal. It's ticking. Time is ticking. None of us are getting back December 28th, 2019. It's gone forever. To have a godly perspective is so very important. That, that God has given to us the days that we have, that they've been entrusted to us. We so easily lose track of them. It is a message like this, it is a truth like this that, that counters the prevailing winds of our culture that, that blows us constantly towards only being mindful of the instant and the now and the present and the tangible a verse like this says, oh no, you need to have a godly perspective of time. A godly perspective of time. Some of us kind of feel like George Bailey when it comes to 2019, stuck in this crummy building and loan. We have no idea how wonderful life really is. We need Clarence to give us some perspective. The reality is that God gives us a surer word in his word. Moses asks God for chronological insight, a kind of divine watch that helps us to keep track of time. For the people of God, there is a lens that he supplies that enables us to to count and number and account for our days. For surely there is a conviction here that goes with numbering our days. As As I number my days in 2019, I realize there were days in which I did not use that time given to me, allotted to me, gifted me well. Would you join me in confessing that some of 2019 was wasted time, was stupidly spent? Teach us to number our days. Brothers and sisters, how much time in 2019 did you flat out waste? We're talking about socks now that read your biorhythms so that when you fall asleep binge-watching a show on Netflix, it stops Netflix. So that when you come to, you haven't lost your place. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, there are some dangerous things out there. We need to be mindful of the way that we use our time. Why'd you keep looking for ways to get noticed this past year instead of looking for ways to bring people into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did you think that you could serve King Jesus without reading his word, faithfully attending the services of worship, and committing yourself to prayer? We need a new way to account for our time. We must redeem the time. It's interesting to think about 2020, I can't help but connect it to the idea of 2020 vision. 
And certainly 2020 vision means that we're seeing things well, that we're savoring things well, that we're adjudicating things well, that we're making decisions and being discerning and being wise. What a great challenge for us, church, that in 2020 we would have a 2020 kind of vision of what's important and what matters and what doesn't and what should go by the wayside and what should go into the hopper of our lives. Interesting, even thinking about Paul in Acts 2020, teaching them house to house. How many times should, instead of us just merely going to church, should church come home with us? What if we taught one another from our houses? Fathers, what if you taught your children? Didn't leave it to a few people to do, but you taught your children the glorious, great things of God. I'm pleading for a godly perspective of time. Secondly, this. The song goes on in verses 13 to 17. There is a plea for God's powerful help. A plea for God's powerful help. Return, O Lord. How long, question mark, and have compassion on your servants. Verse 14, O satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The prayer from 13 is that God would return and have compassion on those who serve him. We know that God never leaves, that God never forsakes. It feels like that at times, but the truth of God's word must be understood. Some of us struggle our way forward with a feeling of abandonment. We have to understand that's a feeling, not a reality. Which brings us to verse 14. Oh, satisfy us early with your mercy. Moses cries out on behalf of God's people, beseeching, imploring, entreating, appealing to God for satisfaction. Interesting Hebrew word for satisfaction, sabah, means to have enough, to fill to contentment, to fully satiate. Here's a plea for God's help. Lord, fill us with your mercy. It is his mercy that does the filling. It's an awareness that his mercy is new every day and that it is utterly, totally sufficient. The result of that is given to us in the next verse. Make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us. Even in those days in which we have struggled, because Christmas has not gone the way some of us intended it or wanted it to go, it was not full of joy. For some of us it was full of trials. For some of us, it was full of trials. The call here is that even our suffering might be sanctified with insight and wisdom. For some of us, the past month has not been tiptoeing through the tulips with Tiny Tim. It's been a challenge. Physically, a challenge. Spiritually, a challenge. We have felt the tension of the culture. It's not been a cakewalk. I never knew what a cakewalk was until I got invited to a cakewalk. And if you haven't been to one, it really is interesting. Everybody gets a cake. You just walk around the table, the music stops, you pick out the cake that you want. But everybody gets a cake. Have you ever had a cakewalk here? We ever? We should have a cakewalk in 2020. Yeah. Doc says it's good to go. Everybody gets a cake. Past month's not been a cakewalk. 
been tested and tried. You, 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 you wanted to do things and you were kept from them. Spent far more time in a waiting room than you ever wanted to. Far more time in a hospital room than you wanted to. Far more time in your bedroom than you wanted to. And yet to realize that our good God can use times when we lay flat on our back, waiting for the pain to recede so that we can resume, that our good God uses those times and those seasons for our good and his glory. That, that takes divine insight. That takes discernment. That takes a mercy that God alone can supply. I talked with a dear brother this past week who's been diagnosed with cancer recently. We were talking together heart to heart. He said, you know, Scott, I don't want to waste my cancer. I don't, don't want to waste what I can learn during this period. Wow. That's something that only God can give his children. And there is something, beloved, really, really beautiful about that kind of a heart. Not angry, not upset, but to realize that God has allowed this. God is a God who gives and takes away. There's a strength there. There is a wonder there. There is a grace there that we dare not miss. There's more than going on than meets the, the human eye. God will be at work when the snow flies, and the kids forget to call, and the joints begin to hurt, and the insurance payment is due. God is at work. Let's locate this within our own experience here in upstate New York in the year of our Lord, 2019. Amidst the political intrigue, amidst terrorism and shootings and cultural upheaval, amidst machete attacks on Jewish people in New York City. So recently, a battle is raging for the hearts and minds of people. Our mostly bad news loudly declares that something is wrong with us. These are the consequences of our rebellion against our maker, and they are always on display in our broken world. And yet the sheer fact that our narrative is still running is proof of his long-suffering and his mercy. We work for the night is coming. But we must contend that I'm, I'm weary of believers who can only tell us what is wrong, but they refuse to do what is right. Chaos is an invitation for those with hearts of faith and courage to stand up and speak up and not just whine about what's going on around us. No one goes to a football game to see the team huddle. We go to see action. We want to see the plan that was worked out in private. We want to see it show up in public. And that's the contention of Psalm 90. Lord, would you strengthen me? Would you return to me? Would you satisfy me? Would you make me glad? so that your glory may appear to your children. Brothers and sisters, maybe as Christmas recedes from view, you feel something of a wave of melancholia well up within you. That's not useless, that's a mercy. No season, no gift, no celebration, no pause, no presence can ever truly fulfill the people of God. 
That is for God alone. That's why chemicals won't do it and sexual expression won't do it. That's why more popularity and more money and more power and more prestige won't do it because God has made us for himself. And we are restless until we rest in him. And that's the wonder of the gospel. That God sends down this lamb who will make us right with God. I think it's important for us as we stand on the cusp of a new year to realize what exactly it is that God is doing. God works even through our disappointments. He turns them on their head. So let me conclude with a couple of practical lessons for pilgrims. I'm just re-striking these chords maybe. First of all, this physical gifts cannot sustain us. I've been so gifted this Christmas. I'm wearing a Christmas sweater. I have a Christmas watch on. I'm so thankful for those things. Those were good things. Those are mercies. They're expressions of love and care. But that's not going to get you through January, February, and March. Physical gifts cannot sustain us. Gifts and blessings might be like beams of light from the sun, but if they don't point towards the ultimate giver, then we miss the mark. We know from the book of James that all good and perfect gift, gifts come down from above. You recognize that behind the gifts is the giver. To go further up and further in and to realize the wonder of God. This idea that there is this transcendent one, that we're having a human experience physically, touching and tasting and feeling and enjoying, but that's only part of it. There's this great beyond. I was thinking of the Quaker who was eating very simple fare, a piece of bread and some very thin soup, and he, he looked up and he said, all of this in heaven too. That's the far better perspective for us as the people of God. Uh, back in the early 70s, my, my buddy, Jeffy Price, they had a TV that got UHF, and there was a show on called Ultraman. I won't belabor the details with you and bore you, but it was basically about this guy that had a beta capsule, and when he held the beta capsule up, he became Ultraman. Big and strong and capable of taking on huge dragons and things like that. Someone pointed out to me one time that there was a zipper on Ultraman's back and totally blew the show up for me. The whole idea of this mighty Ultraman creature with incredible abilities, it was over at that point. And every time I sat down as a child to watch that, all I could see is, there's a zipper again. That's just a guy in a suit. The reality is, is that for God's people, the closer you look at God, the more you look at God, the greater he becomes. There is no zipper. He just gets bigger and grander and greater and more glorious. And I've been looking at God for a while through his word. And he just gets more and more profound, more and more awesome. And that's the challenge for us as the people of God. Not to be stuck in physical world, but to realize that they will only take us so far in pointing towards the ultimate giver. Secondly, this. Hope in passing joys always leaves us empty. Hope in passing joys. My kids are receding. 
kids are gone back to Texas. They're over in Rochester. They're over in Pennsylvania. That time together, which was so sweet, and I, I did win a number of games eventually, which was really good. But that's over. It's over for a while. Don't know when we're all going to be back together again. If you put all of your eggs in that basket, you'll always find yourself broken up at some point. There has to be something more important to sustain your soul. These were joyful hints. These were moments of delights. These were samples of God's kindnesses. But the best presents are still under the tree. And by the tree, I mean Calvary's tree. The best presents are still there. Christmas for the Christian is not a day or a season. It's a truth that holds perpetual sway in our lives. Maybe for some of us, the challenge was to go back to our photo album, flip through it from the past year, and mark out the kindnesses of God and the mercies of God. I had a recent situation with a vehicle, and it wasn't good, and I did not enjoy that. But it could have happened on Christmas Eve night in the middle of the woods and near Canada Herring, and it didn't. That was a mercy. The reality is that if we go back and we replay the life that we just went through this past year, we realize that God was working behind the scenes in incredible ways that some of us never even understood or took the time to understand. We should be praying for one another, but not just for good health and not just for ease and comfort. We should be praying for one another for sturdy souls. That God would give us the ability to display compassion and grace. That we would be positive and contagious and infectious with our joy. And that won't happen if it's always bound up in circumstances and how things are going. How'd you do today? And are you feeling blessed? And things like that. It won't, it won't happen that way. It will happen as we account for the kindnesses, the ultimate kindnesses of God. I pray that God would finish the work that he has promised that he would accomplish in us in this coming year. That we would peacefully wait for its completion. That we would call to mind his great faithfulness. That we would wait on him and hope in him. He was enough for us last year and he will be enough for us this year. Let me close with this. Years ago in Reader's Digest, there was a fascinating account of a man named Captain Gerald Coffey, who was a POW during the Vietnam War. While piloting a vigilante aircraft off the USS Kitty Hawk on February 3rd, 1966, he was shot down. His leg was, his arm was badly broken when he ejected, and he was quickly and brutally captured by the North Vietnamese. The pain was so bad, he says, that he passed out. When he came to, he says, I sensed my surroundings more than I saw them. I was in a stable. A water buffalo stood nearby with chickens scratching at my feet. I was struck by the dreamlike scene, the serenity of the animals, the low bubbling of the opium pipe, the mixture of smells, and finally, incongruity, the incongruity of my own presence. Here I was, 31 years old, a prisoner of war among people that we had been bombing and strafing. God, I'm going to need you a lot. Please, he prayed, stay with me. He was taken to a prison, and he describes a portion of it. Eventually, 
An officer showed me a dark cavity of a cell about three feet wide and seven feet long. On one wall was a concrete slab. My bed at the foot were ankle stocks, dark sweat-stained wood on the bottom and a heavy manacle that clamped down over the top. Near the high ceiling in the back wall was a tiny window with a double row of iron bars. I craned my neck upward and all that I could see were shards of broken glass embedded in the top of the prison wall. In the corner was a filthy bucket for my toilet needs. A dim light bulb revealed a curious little square patch of letters on one wall that had been whitewashed over. The tiny dungeon reeked of decades of human misery. I could smell it in the stale, damp air, and it permeated my skin. I was fed twice a day, a bowl of soup of whatever was in season, pumpkin, gourd, or squash. Sometimes there would be a piece of fat the size of a quarter, and it was a cause for celebration. If there there was a morsel of pork still attached, there was also a bowl of rice. My clothes were filthy and ragged. I spent a lot of time in the fetal position, hunched close against myself for warmth and trying to support my arm. I won't go too much further. He recounts the horrible torture that he endured at the hands of a man that he called Pig Eye, often blacking out from the pain. He continues, he said, It was my faith that helped me through those times. Every Sunday, the senior officer in each cell block would pass a signal, church call. Every man stood up in his cell if he was able, and then, with a semblance of togetherness, We'd recite the Pledge of Allegiance, the Lord's Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm, focusing on the part that says, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. So folks, this is what really fascinated me. Christmas 1968, he says, stands out in my memory. From my cell, I could hear the guards laughing and talking with their families. They were on holiday routine. For most of the day, I listened as the son of a head guard, a child of three or four, played with a toy car. I could hear him revving and honking, just as I had heard my own little boys on past Christmases. I heard him cry when he hurt himself some way, and I heard my own children laughing and crying in my memory. I had never known what real loneliness could be. And then I thought about the simplicity of Christ's birth, Here there was nothing to distract me from the awesomeness of Christmas. No commercialism, no presents, little food. I was beginning to appreciate my own spirituality because I'd been stripped of everything by which I measured my identity. Rank, uniform, money, family. Yet I continued to find strength within, and I realized that although I was hurting and lonely and scared, this might be the most significant Christmas of my life. Brothers and sisters, how does the man enduring what he's enduring have the most significant Christmas of his life? And in contrast, how do we, with all of our plenty and all of our blessing and all the things that overflow to us, at times feel so empty? One paragraph, I think, sums it up. I thought of the simplicity of Christ's birth. Here there was nothing to distract me from the awesomeness of Christmas. Brothers and sisters, as we think about praying and thinking our way forward in the year 2020, certainly it means that we understand the time that God is giving to us. Every breath, a mercy from the Most High. Also, we recognize that any strength, any mercy comes down 
from the Father of lights in whom there is no turning, there is no shadow of turning. We're going to take 2020 seriously, if we're going to use 2020 in the way that God intended us to use it, it will be with a recognition that he gives to us exactly what we need. He's the one who is the source, the fount, the headwater for all of the strength that we will need in this coming year. This man lives his most significant Christmas without family, friends, wife, children, home, gifts, cards, carols, celebrations. And the challenge for us is to see, in this season, the great mercy of God's work in our lives. Father, we thank you for our time together in your word. We would pray, along with the songwriter, along with Moses, satisfy us, Lord. Satisfy us with the meager. Satisfy us with the things that the world says are minor. Satisfy us, Lord. So that as we leave this place, people would recognize that we've been with Jesus and that there is something indomitable about us. We don't merely have things working out for us physically. We have the sturdy soul of the follower of Jesus Christ at work in us. Father, I pray that your people would rise up to this holy challenge that we would understand that there is a strength available to us, there is a power available to us, there is an attitude available to us that we'd put on, that we would cloak ourselves in your righteousness, and that people would know that we have been with Jesus. Father, I pray that this would be true for your people, that this would be true for me in this coming year. I pray that you'd lead our, our hearts, Lord, and make us hunger and thirst after your righteousness. Father, I pray that in spite of the circumstances that we would enjoy you, that we would love one another robustly. And we ask this in the name of the one who is ever faithful, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.